welcome to another episode of uh, Cinema Wheeler Tay. It's uh, Sean and Scott. Yes. <laughs> and, Hello. And no Tony. No Tony. Tony's uh, we're taking a break. Yeah. <laughs> not taking a break. That sounds terrible. She, she vanished. She's, we we can't find her. But she's not here. But we we have a special guest though. Uh, we do have a special guest. Yes. Uh, if if there was ever one that could fill the shoes for Tony, yeah, yeah. this is definitely. A and guest. she'll be back. This we haven't. She yeah. hasn't been snapped. Well, yeah, they haven't combined into one being. Yeah. Um, but it's once again our a three time guest, uh, Becky Solon. Hi guys! Thanks for having me back again. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I, I probably could could fill Tony's shoes physically and, and spill over, <laughs> break her vintage pumps. Yeah, you could. Sorry, Tony. <laughs> Man, that would be kind of an interesting. Uh, it would be. It's, it would be sad, but uh, interesting at the same time. Well. This is a podcast I've been wanting to do for a very long time, and the stars eventually aligned where we could do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and it's a movie that I've, I, I obviously really enjoyed as a kid, but I've grown to love more and more as I see it. It's uh, from 1988. It's Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yes. Hooray. Yes. <laughs> That's all you need to say. Um, so I want to start with... Becky, uh, about her experience with the Roger Rabbit, what it means to her, and it'll just go through the all of us. So, I think this might be the gushiest podcast that will have existed. Um, (laughs) I I saw this movie three times in the movie theaters the summer of 1988. Um, (laughs) My sister and I were watching the Disney Channel pretty heavily in those years, and they promoted the hell out of this movie um, to the point where we came up with a theme song for the movie before we even saw it. Uh, Who framed Roger Rabbit? <laughs> that is, that's the, um, you know, un, unsanctioned theme song to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> so yeah. I was all in for this movie at the outset. I loved it the first time I saw it. I thought it was the smartest movie ever made because it made so many external references it played with the idea of cartoons it was absolutely brilliant to me um which Mm -hmm. is why i saw it three times Mm. um i had the who framed roger rabbit lunchbox in second grade uh i had the jessica rabbit pin that said i'm not bad i'm just drawn that way um (laughs) i was all about who framed roger rabbit yeah well um i remember seeing it in the theaters 1988 when it first came out 1988 was a big year for me personally as well because uh, that's when i really got heavily into movies if it wasn't for 1988 this podcast probably wouldn't exist <laughs> the way it does because that was a, a there was like a whole um grouping of uh, <laughs> uh films coming out that i that really had an impact on me first was beetlejuice which came out earlier in the year yeah and I, I adored Beetlejuice. I was scared shitless when Gina Davis ripped her face off, as I mentioned several times on the podcast, but in a good way. Uh, Big had a profound impact on me at that point because uh, I just something resonated with me. I remember it was the end of my f- end of my of fourth grade. We were just getting out of fourth grade into the summer, and that movie came out, and we'll have to cover that someday. And I became a huge Tom Hanks fan, and then this came out, Roger Rabbit. 
my impression before I saw it was just I, I, I'd seen previews of it, and there was a lot of press going into the movie about mm-hmm. like the technical breakthroughs. I think I was ten when this movie came out, ten eleven, and uh, when I would watch the the commercials, I thought this was going to be a happy go lucky cartoon where Roger Rabbit looks for his wife. Didn't know what his wife looked like, <laughs> but they drove a cab across country to find his wife. That was my impression of what this movie was going to be. And they hired a detective to help him out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, oh, this could be enjoyable. Then I see the movie, and I'm like, this is not at all what I expected this to be, because it turned out to be a much darker, weirder film experience than I anticipated and I loved it. Like it, it had a bigger impact than I ever mm-hmm. anticipated it having. And uh, I'll go on on subsequently, but that was my initial impression of the movie when I saw it. Yeah, I think it, it was. It. I remember how I loved the movie because it was a cartoon. Mm-hmm. You know, number one, and I was eight years old. And uh, it's. It, I don't think I got the gravity of like all the characters. You, you didn't know licensing. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> that makes sense, right. you know. I wasn't like, oh, but uh, yeah, this was a, this was in that uh, time in my life where you, you didn't see very many movies. You go to the theater; it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. So this is one of the movies I remember going to see, like with Big and and, and Roger Rabbit, um, and just, I mean, they created a, a character from you know. Roger Rabbit, they just created this new character that they could use, yeah. <laughs> they can use, and <laughs> I don't think they really capitalized as much on it. But not they, recently. I would yeah. say, that, yeah, yeah. Jessica tried. Rabbit is probably more popular. It is, is more referenced than yes. than Roger Rabbit <laughs> for, himself for obvious reasons. Yeah, I'd yeah, say. yeah. But it's, it's like uh, there's more iconic, you know. Um, um, but uh, yeah, I was. Uh, this movie is every time you watch it is like you you don't forget stuff but you're like oh yeah there's a cartoon in front of the movie and then mm-hmm. they had to reveal that it's it's being shot like a a movie and then they go and all this stuff I mean and some of it is it it, it can because they purposely did a specific anima- animation in this movie um, it can never I don't think it can be dated because the animation is supposed to be that style. That's the whole point. It's the mm-hmm. 40s version of animation. Mm-hmm. So it's if it looks clunky, that's the whole point of it is because it's they're, they're, the characters are the 40 version of the animation. Right. Uh, that's one of the really brilliant aspects of this movie. Uh, and it comes down to one guy, and, and his name is Bob Zemeckis, <laughs> Robert Zemeckis to the layman. Uh, and this is something I that... Uh, this is very interesting that all three of us kind of came to this conclusion separately because, spoiler alert, Becky and I recorded a podcast for our friend Amanda Iman's pod, uh, Picture Show A Go-Go on Romancing mm-hmm. the Stone. Mm-hmm. And Becky made the comment about how, what an economically savvy and streamlined filmmaker Zemeckis mm-hmm. is. There's no ounce of fat. Scott and I had a similar conversation a few years ago with that as well, and I've always thought that. And that's it's funny that we all come to the conclusion that in the 80s especially, Bob Zemeckis yeah. was a really efficient filmmaker. Yeah. No ounce of fat. Everything's dense. Everything makes sense, except for maybe the Cowboys and Back to the Future Part 3. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, um, but and this movie is right up there with Back to the Future, Romancing the Stone, of, of these really quick, efficient 
well-edited yeah. films. Mm-hmm. And uh, But you mentioned that, but it looked like this was Steven Spielberg's thing. Like, even though Bob Zemeckis, Steven Spielberg was a spearhead for a lot of what went, went down. He was. Uh, well, initially, Disney bought the rights to a, the book, which was who censored Roger Rabbit. It came out in 1981. Yeah. And there's test footage of Disney developing this. They actually showcased on the Disney Channel. And I'm going to be posting this on, yeah. on our <laughs> podcast. It's crazy because you're seeing early versions of Roger and Jessica mm-hmm. uh, before either Spielberg or Zemeckis got involved. Zemeckis wanted to direct it, but he had only directed I Want to Hold Your Hand, which was his first film, and used cars, which were not big hits. Yeah. So Disney was reluctant to hire him. And then Back to the Future came out, and mm-hmm. it's like, okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll hire him. But Spielberg, when he came in, he's the guy that was able to get the secure the rights to the Warner Brothers cartoons and mm-hmm. Betty Boop and the Max Fleischer stuff because... That's a very political hotbed to begin with, with rival studios. But he was the one who was able to to mangle all those rights together. Uh, they didn't get them all, though. There were some stragglers, that, like Popeye. <laughs> yeah, I know. Popeye. I am what I am, but I'm not in this movie. <laughs> he, he, was, he was dipped. I want to see that day on the set where you know Spielberg comes in, we lost Popeye. <laughs> Little Lulu, Casper the Friendly Ghost, oh, man. Tom and Jerry. And oh, Terry right. Tunes. I don't know who Terry Tunes are. Well, they, they got dipped. <laughs> they got the dip. Um, yeah. There's some of those I'm okay not having them in the movie. I don't even know if have any reference point for the Terry Tunes. Popeye, Tom and Jerry, and Casper are probably the ones that people would. Yeah. yeah. Tom and Jerry, that was my favorite cartoon when I was a kid. Yeah. And I, I grew. I, I Developed more sophisticated tastes eventually, but <laughs> they got me in. Well, Tom and Jerry aren't sophisticated. The sophistication of Tom and Jerry, though, that's that's pretty. <laughs> that's that's the heartbed of of everything that we do. Um, but <laughs> I'm gonna say this tonally too, and I really feel like this movie has more. I feel like even though it's a Disney film, it feels more like a Warner Brothers film to me. There's a reason for that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Do tell. Because so, yeah. I have a quote from uh, Zemeckis said that Disney's he wanted a film to imbue Disney's high quality of animation, Warner Brothers characterization, and Tex Avery humor. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's what he was trying to do. And it's it's kind of three films in one. In, in addition to those those three, I also saw an interview with Zemeckis where he says, you know, it's it's three films. In the making, it's a it's a noir film, it's uh, mm-hmm. an animated film, and it's a special effects driven film. Yeah, it's definitely. Um, yeah, I, I agree with Robert Zemeckis. <laughs> he was right was, about he, what he, he was, was saying, right, right. He was right about exactly what he was doing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we can uh, confirm. Right? You're right, Bob. Bob, right? Bob, you, you, your you're, intent on this movie is correct. That's exactly <laughs> what you intended. The to movie do. you made. Uh, um, I. I, I the thing that I love about this movie. Well, I remember when it came out, Roger Ebert. I was reading him heavily at that time, and he gave this four stars. But he focused primarily on the technical achievements, of course, he of the did. film. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, I was kind of bored by it. like he's not talking about the plot or the characters. He's just talking about I've never seen a movie like this before. It's an achievement how they pulled this off, and doesn't say anything about the plot or the story. <laughs> and I feel. It is undeniable that this was a huge technical achievement. There's no question about this. This was an undertaking. It's amazing they were able to pull it off prior to, you know, um, CGI and Mm -hmm. all those other effects. 
But what gets underappreciated is what a really sharp, perceptive, funny, irreverent movie it is at its core. Like mm-hmm. this is yeah. so creative on all levels. Like I, I love the script for this movie. Like mm-hmm. even if I, um, it was just reading it without having seen it. I just love how incredibly sharp this this movie is on the whole. Yeah, it's the. I like all the names like RK Maroon and you know the Valiant and Valiant. I mean, it's got all right. the tropes of every. It's a satire of of, of noir movies, yeah. basically. Yeah, um, but they treat the tune. I mean, I love well Bob Hoskins is great in it. You know, mm-hmm. obviously is, and uh, I know he wasn't the first choice for this this role. There were several people. I on, know. Uh, I guess Harrison Ford was too expensive for this. Well, my favorite story is Bill Murray was offered the role of Valiant. Yeah. And he never oh. got it because he doesn't have an agent, so he missed that. <laughs> he says, I would have taken it had I gotten that <laughs> message. And, uh, Eddie Murphy turned it down yeah, and regretted, regretted it. it. There's a lot of that with this movie. People turned I, it down and regretted it. I think it. I liked, though, that Bob Hoskins wasn't a big name. I think it worked because mm-hmm. it didn't overshadow. Yeah. I think if you had a big name in it, it might have overshadowed the the rest of the movie. The star of the movie, I mean, the technical achievement, we can say that it's not. But the star of the movie is the cartoon characters yeah. in this yeah. movie. Those are, the, those are like what you're, that's your end. Like you want to see Bugs Bunny and Mickey mm-hmm. Mouse and, and and how they're entwined in the in the movie. That's yeah, that's a good point. He's Bob Hoskins is quietly brilliant in this movie, mm-hmm. even yeah. though he can't totally keep his accent up. Um, <laughs> no, no, he can't. <laughs> but, for starters, yeah. <laughs> um, I can't pick up an accent. So but, yeah, <laughs> you mean you woke for dudes? And even his appearance, like he he's like if Humphrey Bogart and Danny DeVito had a child mm-hmm. like that's Bob Hoskins yeah yeah he, he's wonderful in in the movie uh the character's complex if you're yeah. a kid like this is a number one he's an alcoholic which for a kid's it's not really a kid's movie in my eyes but it's it was marketed towards kids uh-huh. yeah so you have a guy dealing with that um unapologetically and he's He's dealing with loss and grief mm-hmm. with his brother. Right. Um, and so there's a lot of baggage there. And, and I love that it's introducing kids to a Bogart-esque character, like the film mm-hmm. War. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a Maltese Falcon vibe. This is a man <laughs> who's very cynical because of all the things, all the things that happened, but there's still an idealist at his core. And um, I love how they homage film noir through that character mm-hmm. in this. In the quips. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, do you, do you uh, what's the line? It's like, uh, what do you know about show business, Mr. Valiant? Uh, it's no, like no other business I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, uh, it's funny that you talk about the, the plot um, in your opening about how you thought it was one thing. I don't. I think until this last viewing that I really figure out, I really every <laughs> the plot of the movie really crystallized in my brain. Because <laughs> yeah. I still think I was looking at when I was little. I the, I had no idea the plot made no. I was just like, oh, there's, you you could follow the movie in a, like a, a superficial right. way when yeah. you're eight years old. You know, like stuff's happening. I was more interested in the uh, um, the cartoon characters interacting. You know, and, and 
the, the comedy of it. Mm-hmm. But then you're like, oh, there, oh, this plot of this plot is hilarious. You yeah, know, this, it this is. whole the and, ending speech. Oh, yeah. the ending oh, speech. God, God. I, but just uh, Judge Do- <laughs> My favorite thing about Judge Doom is how optimistic. All the references to L.A. traffic that are completely yeah. wrong. In the future, they won't worry about traffic jams. Yeah. And then Bob Hoskins says, like, why would you use that? <laughs> L.A.'s got the best uh, public, public transportation in the, the world, world, which is not the case. And I remember adults in the theater laughing at yeah. this stuff at yeah. the time, and not, I didn't understand it at all. It's like, what's right. a f- why is everybody laughing about a freeway? I, yeah. you know, I, didn't get, I didn't get the comedy at that point. But right. I knew the adults loved it. Like they, they got yeah. that was hilarious. Yeah, it's just, you could just imagine the, the script writers being like, ha, 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 right, yeah. right. Well, just that, and well, Chris Lloyd's delivery of that speech is amazing. Oh, yeah, and yeah. for the record, as longtime listeners know, I'm a huge Chris Lloyd fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reverend Jim is probably my favorite sitcom character ever. Uh, nobody makes me laugh as much as Reverend Jim, and of course Doc Brown is goes without <laughs> saying. Uh, Dream Team, no, he was in Cuckoo's Nest, which is one of my favorite yeah. movies. Uh, he is absolutely just like Bob Hoskins. He is absolutely brilliant in this role. Judge Doom mm-hmm. is he gives it a vulture-like, precise movement yeah. style of performance. Yeah. It's so it's it's intimidating. It's a scary. And funny villain mm-hmm. simultaneously. Very scary. He was, um, you know, the three times I saw it, uh, I, <laughs> I had to hide my eyes during the reveal. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I was disturbed when he dipped the shoe. Oh, I did not is, see that coming. I fast forward. Uh, my, my VHS cassette tape, I think, skipped over that part right. <laughs> because it was so traumatizing. It is because it's the cutest cartoon <laughs> character in the world. And it's so innocent. And he just picks it up and dips it. And it, it's covered in red ink like blood. So yeah. it is so weirdly graphic. And he turns around in a really creepy manner, like holding his glove yeah. to the, the camera Originally, right, it was supposed to be a squirrel. That would have been <laughs> extraordinarily time. Yeah, shoe. It's not personified enough that we can't. Yeah, um, I was, I was, I was, I was. I felt terrible for the shoe. I empathize yeah. with the shoe, but I also was freaked out more than scared. Like that's just dis- weird and disturbing, which is the effect they wanted. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a brilliant scene. Yeah, I love it. I love when that uh, guy's talking to Bob Hoskins. Is like. Yeah, it's a combination of all these chemicals. He calls it the dip. <laughs> I, yeah, let's. I, I love the way that Zemeckis films introduce exposition. Yeah, there, yeah. there are so many helpful, informative characters in yeah. his yeah. movies. There are. I, I, I'm a big fan of exposition. I love it. When it's done well, it's my favorite dialogue. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean that's what all this all the all the Judge Doom speech at the end is this exposition of what he's gonna do. But it's <laughs> my favorite thing in the world because I just love if you could do exposition, it's better than for me, it's better than any emotional dialogue or anything. It's the way he delivers like like you lack vision, but I see yeah. you know, like freeways <laughs> yeah. and gas stations all far as the eye can see. And it's an absolutely hilarious speech. And he, he, he says, and it's beautiful. Automobiles, <laughs> repair shops. It's just like all this stuff, you know. All like, the gaudiness that we see on a freeway, mm-hmm. he's celebrating it as if it's Americana. It's brilliant. You know? Yeah, and he's like. And then the end, my God, it'll be beautiful. <laughs> yeah. God, what a performance. How man. many yeah. takes did that? 
take. <laughs> I yeah, wonder. No. Well, there's some interesting things I read where I guess when Zemeckis showed it to Chris Lloyd for the first time in the script, he goes, Here's a tune! <laughs> <laughs> so he got it immediately. And they originally auditioned Tim Curry to play Doom. But they said he was too terrifying to play the role. It would have been too scary. Wow. Uh, I guess Chris Lloyd is the perfect guy because he's he can be scary and funny simultaneously in a way mm. that a few actors can be, you know. And this was radical. Like, most of the characters he played were usually lovable, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Reverend Jim and Judge Doc Brown. So, if, if you Did you guys ever see um, Amazing Stories, the Steven Spielberg's TV series? I remember it, yes. He was in a great episode. I think it was called Return to the Head of the Class, mm. where he oh. played a villainous teacher. And it's very, uh, I, I see some, some seeds of Judge Doom in that character. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, could, I could see, like, the movements. Are, it's mm-hmm. he, if you watch Doc Brown, and this is a perfect comparison because it's another Zemeckis film. If you watch Doc Brown in any of the Back to the Future movies, he's fanatic and energetic mm-hmm. constantly. But there's always precision with his timing. Judge Doom is still. And moves around like a vulture. Almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he's just seeking. Even his shoulders go up a little bit, and he's mm-hmm. dressed in black. And when the end, when he's revealed as a tune, it, it's almost like he slightly changes it, where he becomes more manic. But yet, there's still that precise it's movement. Robotic. Yeah, it's it's amazing to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's uh, he turns on his people for sure. <laughs> <laughs> or his things. I don't know what you call tunes. I always wondered as a kid, and I still wonder to this day, like what he actually was. And I love how they never revealed the actual tune behind the uh, costume. Right, just yeah. the eyes. Yeah, mm. and his eyes are just like he's like a demented tune. It's like mm. he's just in constant state of, um, I don't know. He's just some sort of like. A tune that gets hit over the head constantly, and his eyes are well, spinning. And yeah, I think maybe he's he's like it. He embodies whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, yeah. Like, he's like he's <laughs> like uh, yeah. He's whatever. He's, he's all the like extreme ends of tune. He's, he's at war with a cosmic turtle, and we don't know about it. <laughs> but he's um. But I love it. Like like that ending scene when you find out he is a tune. I mean, just the effects. Like he's springing up, and it's, it usually would be funny, yeah. but it's also like this is kind of creepy. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. it's it's, it's, it's one of the scariest things I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it freaked me out. It, it, and it's another scene that freaked me out as a kid because I'm like, I didn't expect him to be a tune, and this is weird. Mm-hmm. I thought this guy was a human, and now he's a tune. Yeah. It's hard for me to process that at that at that point. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like I was really your knowledge of tunes is that they didn't wear human costumes. No, no, that was my <laughs> that was my experience. Yeah. Um, getting from Judge Doom to maybe Hoskins is like Hoskins is great and I think they all praise him as like it's almost like a mime performance when mm-hmm. you actually watch it on set that he was performing primarily with nothing in many scenes mm-hmm. and still was able to hit direct eye contact with different points where it looks like he's really interacting with Roger mm-hmm. yeah. in, in a way that uh, I don't. They they said few performers can actually pull off what he did. In fact, I think I read that he actually started talking to himself during the make, mm-hmm. filming of this movie, getting delusional. <laughs> yeah. Wow. 
great working conditions. <laughs> he makes it delusional. And and he had to deal with like these weird puppets and mm-hmm. Charles Fleischer oh. in a Roger Rabbit costume. This, oh god. That is Are we gonna go here? Yeah, I, I that's that's one of the weirdest behind the scenes stories. So Charles Fleischer, who was the voice of Roger Rabbit, and Benny, I guess, the cab, mm-hmm. dressed in a rabbit suit on set. Which to help Hoskins react <laughs> to things, but I guess Fleischer was method acting a lot on this set, and because people in the behind the scenes kind of dance around that they were really irritated with him, <laughs> that would piss me off after a while, you know, because he took it like like I watched interviews where his eyes get wide talking about it, like yeah. almost a manic. Mm-hmm. I love Roger. I treat it like Shakespeare, you know that Roger is this and Roger is that, so. Retroactively, I watched an interview with the guy who played Baby Herman. And mm-hmm. He goes, he started dressing in a rabbit suit, and I told them, "If you think for one minute I'm going to show up in diapers, you've got another thing coming." <laughs> <laughs> wow. And yeah, I think uh, Charles Fleischer. He, I don't think he was a voice actor initially, or maybe maybe that wasn't his mm-hmm. his ultimate destiny for himself, but. I could see him, you know, refusing to just just be a voice. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. This he, he, and I think it helped Bob Hoskins though to have someone to talk to in some of those scenes. Like, <laughs> like you know, like you said, if he's going delusion, he's becoming thinking that he's only talking to himself. I think it's good to have you know someone of a point of view that he can look at and, and talk. Yeah. Um, Bob Hoskins' slow burns are awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just his irritation and... Yeah. The the Eddie-Roger relationship is... I, I mean, that's that's at the core of the movie, you know? He's a guy who lost his brother and, and regained... Or gains a friend in the end. And, mm-hmm. I mean, who shares the kiss at the end? Uh, Eddie and Roger. Yes, yeah. It is. <laughs> and they're total opposites. Like, Eddie is cynical, hard-boiled... And Roger is flamboyant and <laughs> buoyancy and, you know, just uh, needy, maybe, is probably a good <laughs> word. Uh, I, I I love Roger, too. Like, I, yeah. I feel like a real kinship with Roger. In fact, in the opening cartoon, which I'd love to talk about, just how mm-hmm. greatly it emulates all those classic Golden Age cartoons... I read the screenwriter said they wanted Roger to come off initially in that cartoon as a victim. So it sets up later on that he's also a victim outside of the films too, mm-hmm. that, uh-huh. to establish his character. So that's why he's being, you know, tortured uh-huh. in that initial cartoon. Yeah, that's uh, any the, the callback is that he can't. He's supposed to see stars, but he sees birds. <laughs> he yeah. keeps hitting his head, and he's seeing like toasters, and he can't. Like he missed the lineup, which in tunes is <laughs> he missed the lineup because they don't see the when they're knocked cold. They don't have the proper uh, the proper thing floating over their head. So so brilliant. <laughs> and they call it back at the end when he's like, "I see stars." Yeah. <laughs> Are you ready for you? What are you, are Raul? Yeah, <laughs> yeah ready, ready, Raul. Oh, such great callbacks in this movie. Visual yeah. visual gags, callbacks. It's just like. Those those little things make this such a joy to watch over and over again. It does, mm-hmm. and I, I love it so much. Like we were talking about exposition earlier, I think one of the best sequences 
in terms of establishing a character's past with exposition is the sequence where Eddie goes back to his office uh-huh. and he starts looking at the old photographs. Oh, yeah. And he gets sad when he sees uh, Teddy, his brother. Yeah. Then the, 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 the camera pans over and we see all these photos of Dolores working with them and that they had right. this business. And it says everything without saying a word. Like classic you get, Zemeckis. Yeah, classic <laughs> Zemeckis. I loved it so much. And it's moving. It's The music that Elvin Silvestri composes is really maudlin and, mm-hmm. and a reflective of... It's almost like Chinatown's music, yeah, almost. Yeah. And uh, I found it moving. It's just like... Mm-hmm. And having a brother of my own, you can relate to a lot of that stuff. You know, I don't know if you know that, Scott, but I... <laughs> yeah. You know... Brother relationships, yeah, yeah. That, that, <laughs> that that have our own private investigation firm. Yeah, that's please the, don't get a pee in a drop. Right. In your head. I, I think a cinema wheeler tay is our personal no, two, they, two guys in a in a wasn't, what, wasn't the one uh, when they were painting over it? One of the things was about Goofy. Yes, yes. Yeah, it was like Goofy cleared on spy charges. Was, was, yeah, I wrote it down, but uh, yeah, that was like that's that's pretty funny. Um, and I love all the I love all. He's like an expert on tunes because I think they specialized in tune. Valiant, Valiant specialized yeah. in tune investigations, so he knows all these. Uh, <laughs> um, he knows all the like the tune things. So when he orders a drink, he's like, "I want a scotch on a rocks." Yeah. And I mean, yeah. ice. Yeah, he still gets rocks because yeah. tunes always going to make the pun joke no right. matter what yeah. you do. Yeah. I, I, and his irritation, like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He just hates tunes. But the judge Dumas call back as he's doing a shave and a haircut. He's like, they can't resist this. Yeah, it's all those little like, yeah, you know, they cannot. Re- and then he looks at the. They're playing the Looney Tunes theme that we all know oh. in the bar in that scene. And he goes, "The miracle round broke down." <laughs> Quite a loony selection for a bunch of drunken reprobates. <laughs> Brilliant line, you know. Yeah. Another, yeah, it's just. I want to go to a tune club. <laughs> Roger Rabbit. God, I wish there was a tune club. I probably would go there's, up to bars more frequently. There's Toontown, and yeah, it's, does that still exist? They Disney used to World? have like like in the Magic Kingdom at one point. I remember they yeah. had a Tune Town, but they took it down. There was they a lot did. of. Did did they build a freeway instead? They they built well. They probably Star Wars Land equivalent <laughs> freeway. Um, they. Used to have, I remember going there during that time frame, and they used to have a lot of Roger Rabbit references, especially in the Hollywood studios at the time. Mm-hmm. And in fact, they had an adult section of Disney World called Pleasure Island, which was like a bar oh, yeah, section, yeah. and Jessica was their mascot at that point. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> of okay. course, their nightclub. Yeah. It wasn't uh, an adult. <laughs> that, that would be really interesting if, if Eisner was greenlighting that back then. <laughs> For the, the tourists. But they, they wanted to have a section where adults could escape away from their kids and just hang right, out at bars. And right. that's when they created that. It's gone now. They don't so, have that. And they, Disney they don't Springs, have yeah. Toontown anymore. No. Oh, see, that. that's like, I don't think I don't think this movie is, is accessible to kids in the same way it was to us. No, I, I, I don't know how much this carries over. I, I love it. Um, I think people would love it if they saw it again yeah. and got exposed yeah. to it, but it doesn't seem like a movie that Disney pushes to the forefront like it did twenty 
even 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people are like, oh, Space Jam. You mean Space Jam? Right. Like, I don't mean Space Jam. <laughs> <laughs> or what was the what, cool, what was the name of that? Cool with the, World. Cool World. Jesus. I never saw, what the hell was that? It was on HBO all the time. It's, it's terrible. That was like one of Brad Pitt's, I think, his first movies. Yeah. yeah. And who else was it? It was Kim uh, Basinger. Kim was Basinger she? was in it. And then the star was Gabriel Byrne. <laughs> It was Gabriel Byrne, Brad Pitt, and Brad Pitt was like almost a central character, but it's terrible. But it, it, it goes more for like the 70s, kind of like uh, Fritz the Cat, kind of, not Fritz the Cat, but uh, it's a Felix the Cat. Mm-hmm. I'm probably confused with oh. all the cat cartoon characters. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, there's a lot of cats, but Tom, <laughs> they didn't get him. But, but um, yeah, I, I didn't care. Like, this was easily the best of that mm-hmm. oak, you know, uh-huh. seeing yeah. live action with animation. Um, I think was it Mary Poppins prior to this was mm-hmm. like one of the first, and then Gene Kelly danced with Tom and Jerry. Yeah, and then um, the the Acres Away silent film Dinosaur was it Gertie the Dinosaur? Oh, um, yeah. and then all the uh, early filmmakers like uh, oh boy, Melier did he do uh, some of the people? Yeah, I I'm gonna botch it if I try to name drop, but. <laughs> Yeah, this, I mean, you know, animation did exist early on in, in movies, but it was rarely employed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was expensive, and it was kind of considered a low-rent form of entertainment at that point, too, like, yeah. when they were developing it. It was it took a while for it. Disney was really the one who pushed it into the mainstream and made it. Yeah, it I mean, even in the animation in this movie, that where he was talking about, he wanted the Disney... The Disney quality of the animation you know with the humor the warner brothers even in the opening opening cartoon is beautifully animated mm-hmm. i oh, mean it's yeah. just it's not um i love the warner brothers animation but it's a higher more detailed well it animated. almost has a third dimension to it yeah. in a lot of scenes the yeah. camera work is so far far more advanced than it was in the 40s yeah right. you know. and they yeah they have shadows <laughs> yeah they because they only had to make one I mean, this is all about, you know, the, the, the special effects in a lot of ways, you know, like, you know, getting that right. So there was a lot of, uh, uh, I think a lot of time, like, we got to get this cartoon to look. I wonder how much time was spent on the cartoon itself, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, that just to establish the, you had to establish Roger Rabbit as a cartoon character that people could understand what his stick was as a cartoon character. Because everybody knows Bugs and Mickey and everybody else, Goofy, and you know all the other characters that you see. But Roger Rabbit's a character that no one's ever seen before, so you have to kind of establish what kind of you know cartoons oh, he makes. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. why, because they need to establish this is why he's famous and why everybody loves him. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it also sets up that this is a show business movie. It's this is a film within a film. Yeah, you know to establish that these are working actors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that was interesting on rewatch, um, the the character of Roger in the the cartoon itself, he's way more reactive than um, other cartoon characters I've seen, like to the violence, and you know he's he's flailing and screaming, and you know you, you don't see you, Wiley Coyote do that. Mm-hmm. You don't, um, you know, when they're injured, they're they're kind of quiet about it like buster keaton style (laughs) but i guess this this goes a long way in establishing roger as as a loud victim yes (laughs) he's vulnerable he Mm -hmm. is and and that scream like yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> that one sequence in the cartoon I love is when he's running all the way around the wall and the smoke's like covering his pathway up to yeah. the ceiling. Yeah, yeah. I, I always love that. And then um, I think the knives are coming at him. You don't see violence in cartoons anymore like this. Like They still <laughs> add the violence that you got in those Looney Tunes cartoons yeah. in full display. And everything's because I love to watch cartoons get yeah <laughs> cartoon characters. Yeah, you can't kill. That was also a thing. The dip is the reason the dip is so scary. It's the only way that tunes can die. It's I, actually I think made out of the, the actual chemicals they use to clean off cells. Yeah. And stuff. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So clever. Yeah, oh, the other is laughing. You can laugh yourself to death. You know. Oh yeah. Which yeah. did? Which. What are they? The weasels? The weasels. <laughs> yes. When they killed, when they laughed themselves to death, and they're the, the, the angel comes out and is playing violin, and there's one of the <laughs> one of them is trying to pull the angel back into his body. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> it's just so stupid. It it's is. just like it, it's it's. Uh, uh, I think the lead weasel was played by the guy who played Squiggy on Logan oh, and Shirley. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that oh. makes sense. Yeah, I forget his That's, name offhand, but I know yeah. that was. You, you knew it like a month ago, I feel like. I know, I probably did, <laughs> yeah. You know, I probably... <laughs> <laughs> you kicked it out with some Roger Rabbit trivia. Look, my my retention of pop culture has had its limits today because I can't remember anything. And I used to have it like after '97, it just kind of you know got thrown out. Um, <laughs> sorry, folks. Research is probably prevalent. <laughs> I just I wanted to establish the fact that Sean did in fact know Squiggy's name. <laughs> yes, I did. Yes. Which is very impressive. Michael McKean's yeah. partner. Uh, That's right, yeah. <laughs> so, um, what was I saying about Squiggy? <laughs> you oh, played that lead. Oh, we played lead. the weasel, right. So, um, the, uh, he does a great job, obviously, with the weasel. What I do love is like they, they hint at an afterlife for these characters in heaven, which means after all oh, the demented yeah. things they did, the God's forgiving and allows them. Well, they're in tune heaven. Oh, I don't yeah. think they're dead. Those characters, I don't think, are dead in, in terms of a race like the dip would do. Right. Oh, they're yeah. dead in the tune version, so they could probably be... There's, they're just Whoa. probably angel tunes. Well, this is sad that they have two... There are so many theological questions. There yeah, because that's like the, they, they, they can't die, but they can laugh themselves to where they... Yeah. What divine entity would allow that kind of option uh, where, where, where they're either sent to a tune heaven if they laugh themselves at that, but yeah. they're thrown, thrown into this dip, they disintegrate from all existence, and they don't even have a soul anymore. Like, how did that? Oh, it's sort of like the Dementors in Harry Potter versus just dying. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like there's no chance for an afterlife oh. if you're just wiped from existence. That's awful. This is yeah. I'm I'm freaking out right now. I, I thought am. the heaviest question that I was going to ask in this episode was, like you know, the tunnel leading into Toontown when you enter, like they're singing and dancing. My question was, do they do that for everybody? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're just constantly doing that. Right. It is. Yeah. It is like, man, this would be overwhelming. But they're tunes. They are. Like, is that what? Is that all they do? Or like, <laughs> when you exit, do they turn around? <laughs> yeah, I know. What do they? like an exit? Song? They have a rest, or they just got to party all night. I think they're tunes, so they just. Yeah, you're right, man. They but there's like a it. field of like Mickey Mouse's running through the fields when yeah. they're getting like weird Mickey Mouse characters. Yeah. yeah. Are they 
but they run and then they stop. They don't. It's just like this. So I think they're less like yeah. They're they designed Toontown to be offset, offset. You know, unsettling, unsettling, or not, not just unsettling, <laughs> but irritating. Like they meant yeah. it. Like it's not a place you don't want to spend. Any amount of time, right. yeah. The buildings have eyes. Yeah, the buildings yeah. are like things, and it's just like, wow, that would you walk into that thing? <laughs> it's, it's manic, man. It's everything it's, is uh, sentient. Everything. <laughs> yeah, forget it. It's Toontown. Trees are sentient. <laughs> exactly. The sun is sentient. You know, everything's sentient. I love the section right right before we really get introduced to Toontown, where Eddie turns and goes, and the guy goes, "What's going? What is it?" And he goes, "This is the closest I've been to Toontown in a while." And then yeah. the somebody Sam pops up. Like, you're like, yeah. come on, let's get out of here. <laughs> so cynical about this. Well, Yosemite Sam gave him the gun. Right. Yeah, With the, the problematic bullets. The bullets, yeah. stupid, yeah. stupid bullets, which I don't, they're, they're bullets, but you shoot them and then they just, they destroy it with not bullet stuff. Like the, that guy did the tomahawk. The tomahawk, yeah. which yeah. could not happen today. No. <laughs> that was the problematic bullet. Too, yeah. The stereotypes were more comfortable with for the cowboys and the <laughs> yeah, we were fine ranch hands and uh, well, the entrance of Two Town is great too. Just when he goes through that tunnel, it's pure black, and all of a sudden, the Back the to the curtain. Future tunnel. Yes, <laughs> yeah, it might be. Is that the same tunnel? I think. Yeah, is the same from Valley? Back to the Future Part Two. Awesome. That's a callback right there, you know. And it's David Lander that played the weasel. Is the name of the? Well, thank you. Now it's <laughs> okay. Uh, David Lander's the Squiggy. Guy. He's back in there. Yeah, it is. It's certain now. My <laughs> life's complete. I no longer feel like a like a fraud. <laughs> um, I um, oh, when I as I've watched this over the years, and we kind of hinted at it in the beginning, like this movie. I even think the screeners hinted at it too. Is it's almost like a parody of Chinatown. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's the plot. Um, so it kind of. You know, takes the public transportation, which actually is a real story about the red car being dissolved gradually to allow room for a freeway, uh, which is the equivalent of with the water supply being drained in Chinatown so it could be used for profit. So I found that that was really clever that they kind of took this is basically a sly parody of that. Yeah, I think they stole, they, had, they said that they were inspired by the, the clover relief. Uh, cable car plot subplot was from Chinatown that was mm-hmm. inspired from Chinatown and um, you know just the political Chinatown I, I haven't seen it it's based on water right it's just like the conspiracy yeah. of water yeah that it's also based on like some stories of LA during that time yeah. frame when people were taking public water essentially and trying to use it to charge for profit and, yeah yeah you know i don't know anything about the john houston character and but that was he did, but, what he was trying know. to do with the freeway and stuff like that yes like, like yeah build a public freeway and then then find a way to make money off of it but the, the judge doom i think just wanted to kill tunes off i think he just like he did not want toontown to exist anymore <laughs> self-loathing yeah, self-loathing, self-loathing too. Yeah. clearly <laughs> self-loathing which makes the weasels worse that they would associate with they did, I don't know if they knew he was a tune, did they? It doesn't clear. Why does Judge Doom, if he's not a tune, why would he... If he's... <laughs> he is a, he is a tune. Dipping tunes. If his whole idea is to kill tunes, why would he employ tunes if he wasn't a tune? <laughs> <laughs> that would be wait, weird. wait, he is a tune, but 
this him to play. This is heavy. Yes, like, this is heavy. Exactly. So they had to know he was a tune, and how would they employ him? Unless they're so stupid. They're just they're, they're, yeah, they're weasels, so they're like lower, yeah. of, of lower character. Yes. Somehow. Well, the lead weasels named Smartass, right? Oh. I don't know if you know it. They never call it, but David Lander's name is Smartass in this movie. Uh, that's entertained okay. right here. It's so <laughs> like... Um, I know he does. There's a line where he goes, "I found they're they're excellent at the work. Like they're mm-hmm. really good at the work." So yeah. it sounds like he discovered over time they could do this and probably employed them for that reason. Yeah, because and then he makes reference to you're you're gonna laugh yourselves to death like your hyena cousins. Yeah, so it makes me think he he kind of cycled through various tune goons mm-hmm. before. <laughs> yeah, probably did. <laughs> they were probably all dipped when they weren't working out. Yeah. Really, so. right. Yeah, tunes weren't really... They were integrated in some areas, like nightclubs. They mm-hmm. were, you know, and then obviously Hollywood. The sets, the production studios, they, you'd see tunes walking around. Yeah. But you didn't see them elsewhere as much, ex- except for the weasels, you know. Yeah, they didn't... Yeah, they... Uh, there's, you know, there's a, a kind of racial parallel yeah. to... Mm-hmm. Um, they were allowed in some areas and not... Yeah, it was. It is like a, it's a back ghetto, door. essentially, is how it a back door. Yeah, and this whole, you know, <laughs> the whole tune thing where he's like, he dropped the piano. That was, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Judge in the callback to that, where Judge Doom dropped the piano on, um, he killed that other guy. Was, was it Acme? Acme yeah, dropped that another, Acme on his head. Yeah, which is another great. Um, I love that because, uh, um, first of all, it establishes with the foreshadowing that Eddie talks about his brother dying with, with the scary tune with the red eyes and he never figured uh-huh. out who it was. It yeah. tells you that Doom had been conspiring for a long time of getting rid of people. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a psychopathic character. Um, but the one of my favorite lines in the movie is when Dolores talks about yeah. that she goes, uh, Tune killed his brother. <laughs> Drop the piano on his Yeah, head. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Joanna Cassidy is another I mean, she's she's amazing in this as mm-hmm. Dolores. She's yeah. fantastic. They they even said she was perfect for the role because she has that nineteen forties, you know, mm-hmm. quality. She's and a dame. She is <laughs> yeah. much the hard dame. And but man, she's loyal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's very loyal. Yeah, she's she puts up with a lot from um Eddie Valiant, you know, he's, he pushes, he needs her too. He can't do anything without her because he's just, you know, he's an alcoholic and, um, Dolores. Yeah, she can hide, uh, Roger Rabbit and the old speakeasy. Yeah. Dolores or Tess Trueheart, you guys. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Which, which one? Which one? That's right. Uh, <laughs> oh, me. I'm going to go, I'm going to go Tess. I, I think, uh, I don't know why. I, yeah. I always had a crush on Tess when I was a kid. So, yeah, Tess. Yeah, Tess, Tess to True Heart. Yeah, she's a little bit better written. <laughs> better written. I don't know. Joanna Cassidy's character has a lot of good. Great yeah, lines. yeah, she's good. Drop writing. that. I'll go Dolores just just to just to awesome. even it out. Well, we won't be feuding. That's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah now, uh, so so maybe we can talk about Jessica Rabbit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was a. I was about to go into that segue. Uh, that's it. Would be it. Would be a huge miss if we didn't cover that. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> the introduction to Jessica is amazing in this movie. Yes. Um, first of all, I love how Betty Boop is brought in to kind of <laughs> set her up because she goes, I still got it. Eddie. I love that scene with yeah. Betty yeah. Boop. Um, 
And I think it was the original voice actress for May Betty. Questel. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, that's just because I did my homework. That's right. That's good. No, no, you probably were a fan. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, and then they open the curtains and the racist crows from Dumbo are playing in the band. Right. And uh, <laughs> Jessica comes out and it's a stunning, stunning sequence. Yeah. yeah. The way that, um, the way that the camera pans around her as a cartoon, as a drawn mm-hmm. flat object, is just remarkable. Um, it, it feels like cinema. It's yeah, and and when she crosses over, it's I, 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 that's one of my that might might be my favorite shot in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that she looks at the camera twice in the film, at least twice? No, she I, looks at the camera in that scene, and she looks at the camera um, after she hits Roger in the head with a frying pan and puts his body in the trunk. Uh, <laughs> I love like in that sequence we were just mentioning too, like just the where she's the camera follows her yeah. like a, a, another film and I know Zemeckis had said he wants to make an actual movie like you normally would and then the animators had to come in and fill that in mm-hmm. and it was a challenge but he did not because he said you really can't move the camera with animation you have to keep it still but he said why is that a role yeah. I'm just going to make this and what, yeah. what do you think the Jessica Rabbit puppet looked like? oh god <laughs> Yeah, it probably <laughs> probably couldn't be shown. On I, I think it. someone I, might have taken her home. They probably, yeah, they probably probably use utilize that quite a bit. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that just would be painstaking to do. You know, filling in all with the animation. So I know uh, Terry Gilliam didn't want to do it because he said he was too lazy. Yeah, he regretted it. He said, "I'm just too lazy to do a movie of this 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 type." Well, in that sequence, I think it's one where she actually has glistening diamonds on the dress, and that's yeah. the, they, that was too expensive to replicate through the rest of the movie, so they they only kept it there. Yeah. Oh, that was smart. That was because that was a scene that introduced. That's, that's not a street dress. That's a performance dress. That is. That's exactly right. Um, and I also love when Betty Boop pushes uh, Valiant's <laughs> jaw up. <laughs> yeah. Well, she has a great line. Is like. Roger's married to that, and he's like, "Yeah, she, she's a lucky rock gal." What a lucky guy! <laughs> uh, and then the perfect voice is Kathleen Turner yeah. for her, uh, who was the femme fatale of the '80s, really, you know, in a lot of ways. Uncredited in this movie, which yeah. is weird. Mm. Hopefully, yeah. she got paid. <laughs> yeah, do, do you think anyone didn't know she did the? Voice? Yeah, I know. I probably didn't attend, you know, because I wasn't tuned into that. No, but, but I didn't know who Squiggy was. <laughs> like, Squiggy. Yeah. It was one weasel. Oh, I know Squiggy. I don't know this Kathleen Turner person you're talking about. <laughs> it's Joan Wilder. Joan yeah. Wilder. <laughs> yeah, Joanna Cassidy, I know. No. <laughs> Do you know Charles Flesher was Roger Roberts? I did know that because that was publicized all the time. Who? who what was he known for? Uh, I think he was a stand-up, wasn't he? Oh, it was a stand-up? Oh, Maybe. Yeah, yeah. He's probably one of those actors you would see pop up in different movies during mm-hmm. that time. And I don't think he was ever established as a real character actor but they publicized that he was doing the voice come see you really come to see this because charles fletcher is doing the voices of most of the characters <laughs> why not just iconic who played an actual bunny on set is <laughs> yeah you know why did the kathleen turner show yeah that, <laughs> yes, i think that'd be a draw like now they just now they would tell you who the voice actor is like it's a big deal now oh yeah, yeah totally yeah well but, the, the problem then to the difference is back then 
they didn't hire A-list celebrities to do the voice of every cartoon character. They were mm-hmm. people that either fit the character or had did voice work in um, as their job, as a profession. Yeah, and now like with most like feature length cartoons. Everybody's an A-list star because that's probably the only way they can sell movies to justify they sell the cost, it. They, maybe? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, but they don't put people that are... Yeah, if you see a big-budget movie, it's going to be people doing voiceover work that don't normally do it. Right. But uh, if it's straight to video, it's all voiceover. <laughs> <laughs> um, Charles Fleischer was in four episodes of Laverne and Shirley in many other uh, shows from the 70s and 80s. Wow. Four episodes, wow. Yeah, Star. Just, just wanted to, to bring it back to Squiggy. <laughs> yes, yes. How did I not know that? <laughs> it all I goes back. I should to identify all four episodes. Yeah. Especially since Penny Marshall passed away. That's a disgrace. <laughs> um, I, um, one thing I want to touch base to is the cameos of all the classic characters that are oh, filled yeah. in this, which blew my mind at 10... And I think the first instance is the Daffy Donald piano duet, oh, yeah. which yes. is crazy. Uh, I love that scene. Do you think Donald says what people say he says? Uh, uh, I've, yeah. I've read about that. <laughs> there are some urban legends with this movie. There are. There's quite a few. Um, yeah, I won't even repeat it, but it's yeah. it's, it's sorry. Famous. Sorry to bring that up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think he does. Yeah. <laughs> so Donald's a racist, essentially. Yeah. 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 I mean, look at his anger. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> that sums it up. And he's performing with Daffy, so that's that's an interesting commentary. I'll have to look that up. I didn't notice anything. Yeah, I, I've read about that before. Um, Which means if you read about it, it's true. <laughs> yeah, I, I read about it three times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> After each viewing as a kid, right? Like they had that out there during the movie's theatrical yeah. Run. Um, I think these are two characters that are evenly matched too in terms of quality. Mm-hmm. I like, I love them both. Well, it was in their contract to be evenly matched, right? Well, I meant in oh, in, in your the, perception in the broad vast of the pop culture. Yeah, uh, right, you know, right. yeah, just, you know, yeah. Well, it's two docs. You wanted to see the two docs, the two competing, yeah, ducks be in the same scene together, and it's yeah, that was. Ducks and Rabbits, man. They they were popular in the 40s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah, that was great. That? That, that's a great... I mean, you would never... Um, I would imagine if someone had never seen this movie before and you showed it to them, but they had some knowledge of cartoons, they'd be like, wow, that blows my mind. And licensing. If they know the cartoons and licensing, this movie would blow their mind. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, that... And then the, Don, then the uh, uh, Bugs Bunny, Mickey Mouse scene... Mm-hmm. Where he's falling, and uh, um, Bugs hands him the, uh, you know, the spare, the spare <laughs> tire, yeah, the the pun joke, and that was uh, like they, there were debates about all of those scenes. Yeah, uh-huh. number one, Warner Brothers made sure, as Scott mentioned before, that Bugs and Daffy got equal screen time with Donald and Mickey. That they couldn't have a single moment with those characters without. They had the same same amount of screen time. Total. Uh-huh. Yeah. Good for Warner Brothers to kind of protect those characters a little bit in a Disney production because it's easy mm-hmm. that yeah. Disney could overwhelm it. But during that one scene with Bugs and Mickey, which is another mind blowing scene, um, they were debating like, "Well, Mickey would never do something mean," and they said, "Yeah, mm-hmm. but Bugs would." <laughs> yeah, because yeah, he's a trickster. Yeah, and Mickey's not. 
So yeah. it he's a stinker. He's and I a stinker. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know what Mickey does. To be honest with you, I've never. There weren't like Mickey. There were Mickey Mouse cartoons, but there was like, what does Mickey do? He's just the the all American mouse. You know, earnest, hardworking. Yeah. Can do. <laughs> <laughs> Bugs gets hunted by, uh, I, but I know like Bugs Bunny cartoons. I know what he does, and then like he gets hunted and he sets traps and gets out of situations. Yeah, he's he's he, the he's sarcastic. He's the bad boy. Yeah, <laughs> he's the bad boy. The classic trickster. Yeah, he is. Um, and and I think that's like like I, I love classic animation and. I go, as a lot of people know, in my circles that I <laughs> You're usually in go. A, a yeah, classic animation circles. A, my classic animation circles, <laughs> which are in high abundance in Columbus. Uh, no, I, I go at the Gateway Film Center once a month. They have Saturday morning cartoons where they play like vintage commercials and a lot of the cartoons that we grew mm-hmm. up with in the 80s and 90s. But they also play the vintage shorts. Mm-hmm. And every time they play a Looney Tunes short, they get the huge response from the crowd. They hold up so beautifully well, uh-huh. and the writing is so sharp. Because it was very, again, like this movie, they were the equivalent of Roger Rabbit in the 40s. Mm-hmm. Really subversive, yeah. sharp writing. Like the Simpsons draws, I think, a lot from Looney Tunes in an indirect way. Uh-huh. Like utilizing cartoons that can entertain both children and adults simultaneously. And they mm-hmm. were edgy. I mean, those characters were not perfect in any way like they weren't mm-hmm. as cuddly as the disney characters were i mean donald's kind of more like a wonder care cartoon to some degree with the temper yeah, yeah. and they weren't behind a cable paywall you but, could watch the <laughs> warner brothers cartoons every day at five yes that's right. yes. 505 on tbs yeah they were accessible <laughs> so that's probably why we know all the beats of bugs bunny cartoons so well almost like a you know, you can probably dictate a Bugs short to somebody. Start to I finish. think that's true, though. I mean, we they were accessible. You, they were on all the time. Uh, Warner Brothers made, um, especially in, in. I mean, this this spearheaded Disney's renaissance in animation, like interest in animation. I think Little Mermaid came yeah. out a year later. Yeah, this was. But this yeah. was like, and. It doesn't sound like Eisner and Roy Disney were all in on this. They thought it was too raunchy and too sexual. Yeah. Uh, it, it was not released under the Disney banner. It was released under Touchstone's banner because it right. had adult content. And I love that they ended up, because Zemeckis had final creative cut. Yeah. Creative control and final cut on the movie. And I love that that happened because I don't want to see this sanitized less than what we actually got. Because mm-hmm. I think that's what makes yeah. it great. Yeah, they were... I mean, Eisner is not, I mean, yeah, whatever. Go to Pleasure Island. <laughs> he did. But, uh, I, I he did. He inhabited most it's of like, oh, who cares? Pleasure Island. Or... <laughs> <laughs> like the most demented billionaire. Yeah. You know? Pleasure Island is his idea, but he's just like, oh, this is too sexual. You know? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, um, but yeah, a lot of the Disney cartoons were at the Disney. You can only watch them on the Disney Channel or you had to pay to go to Disney World. They were just harder to see. And mm-hmm. the, I mean, they would... The Disney Vault is, was a thing. Like they'd make mm-hmm. a cartoon, and then they w- it would be released. You could buy it for a couple of years, and they would pull it from the shelves, and then release it ten years from then. Yeah, yeah. that was a strategy. So, or they release. So they kept it. They kept everything. So I don't think they do that. I don't think the Disney Vault is as much a thing anymore. Obviously, with their new streaming service that they're going to put out, and hopefully, this is on it. Um, we were talking that before we started recording that we, you know, this was on Netflix. 
Mm-hmm. But now everything's getting Disney's trying to pull everything off to start their own streaming service, and um, I think that would be great to see. It. You could literally. It's one of the great things. I sound like an advertisement for Disney Plus, <laughs> but you can yeah, watch. You can get it for seven ninety nine. For seven, <laughs> for six seven ninety nine. But you can watch the, the progression of the Disney animation. You could probably binge your whole yeah. way through, and Roger Rabbit would yeah. be part of that because it really it, it had a twofold effect. It seemed like it was a monster hit. Number one, it right. made like three hundred fifty nine uh-huh. million in eighty eight, which is crazy, crazy large. For something that's an original movie, like just there's no, well they have all the. It's kind of like the, you know, it's kind of like a, with all the cartoon characters that are in it, but the story itself, it's a, it's a Chinatown mm-hmm. parody, but with cartoons in it, you know, and it's right. this film noir, and so it, get, it gave a lot of interest in that kind of hardcore, and it probably led to the, it was Disney, it was. Uh, Dick Tracy touchdown too. Yeah, it was touchdown. Was, yeah, yeah. It, it all it, it all makes the sense. Roger Rabbit cartoon. Yeah, oh yeah. Like Batman '89 oh, was also okay. coming out afterwards. So there was like there was a golden age of animation resurgence because of this movie. It got people interested in the original cartoons okay. in a way mm-hmm. they hadn't before. Even though we all saw them as kids in syndication, right. it brought people to an appreciation to that era of animation. Again. Yeah. And then it led, I think, with Spielberg producing those shows like Tiny Toons Adventures and oh, yeah. Animaniacs. I think that it became kind of... lucrative. Yeah, and those are great. Uh, Animaniacs is a great show. Yeah, yeah. I agree. which is probably more in line with this movie. I agree. Um, yeah, definitely. With pinky references to Orson Welles and you know, <laughs> <laughs> old Hollywood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, have, did do you guys know anything about like the possible? Uh, talks for prequels, sequels, and all of that. Yes. <laughs> so I read, and I'm sure we all yeah. did research, like they had been planning either a prequel or a sequel for years, mm-hmm. and it just it was in development hell for a long time. And I know Zemeckis is still even pushing that they might eventually yeah. make it. Don't do it. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> How could they do a prequel? What would it be about? I guess oh. World War Two, right? <laughs> yeah, there was one that they were going to call Toon Platoon about Roger and the boys serving overseas, um, uh. which would have been like I, I I think that would have been good as maybe like one of the shorts had they done it in like 1989. So Toons actually served in the army. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's that'd be brilliant. great if they're <laughs> they're invulnerable. It'd be great yeah, if they were facing like the cartoon animation of the German propaganda and like the, oh, God. the, the, the you ever see those like the, or yeah. like Russian propaganda like a giant capitalist? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. Actually. Giant. I, now I'm sanctioning this. Yeah. You know. Arm yourselves with frying pans. Right. Boys. I mean, I, I think there's uh, yeah, there's. I would like to. I I think the I want to do with the Roger Rabbit. I want to. I would get away with that character, but do something in that kind of idea. The universe that yeah. the tunes are real. Yeah. That and uh, maybe you could do something like the. Maybe you can do like a style, like a version of like uh, Saint in the Rain, where it goes from two D to three D animation, like that kind of, where the two D animated characters are becoming losing their place because they're being replaced with. Oh, that's a great idea. Computer animated tunes. It would be hard, I yeah. think. To see a Roger Rabbit styled movie in this day and age, because you know, in, in the age of the MCU and all this stuff mm-hmm. that's going on, is that going to fit in something that it would release theatrically? 
Where you get licenses for all... Well, they, they did something with video games recently. With Wreck-It Ralph. Ralph. Yeah. They got all the license for all the different video games. Kind of oh. like... They called it like the Roger Rabbit of... Yeah. So they've done it. They've done it in uh, that style. They didn't get all of them. Like, they didn't get all of them here. But that would be... I mean, who doesn't want to see Shrek? <laughs> Shrek and Woody <laughs> and the Despicable Me, the Minions all. <laughs> oh, which reminds me, Scott and I got stuck in a Minions parade at oh, yeah. Orlando oh, at Universal Studios. Yeah, we were trying to leave the park, and all of a sudden there was a parade. <laughs> I think it was like the Minions. It might have been. I think it's Dora the Dora Explorer. Explorer. And what? Why was she with them? I don't. They, it was a randomness it. to the parade. It was like all these modern cartoons. Is she is she owned by Nickelodeon? Yeah, I think, I think Nickelodeon, Nickelodeon but Universal. Yeah, you're asking the wrong guy on that one. I know Squiggy. I don't know Dora the Explorer <laughs> Minutia. Yeah, uh, but um, that's a great idea of, of bringing like all these modern. It could be a Pixar movie because that sounds yeah. exactly like a Pixar. It would probably have to be under a, a, you know, Shrek wouldn't do that. (laughs) I I know in one script, though, like, it was going to be about Roger's origin story Mm -hmm. in that it would be revealed at the end that Bugs Bunny was his father. Yeah. And I thought that brings so many continuity issues to this movie because Bugs Bunny is prevalent and doesn't seem to interact much with Roger. Well, they didn't go into how tunes are made. They didn't go into how they're created. Yeah, but, but mm-hmm. that means Bugs is what a deadbeat dad. But it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually great. But they're going to do a Disney. Uh, Disney owns the rights to Roger Rabbit, so they're going to do a backstory. <laughs> they're yeah. going to get that light. That I don't like, think it would ever have worked. I don't right. think they would no, ever no. allow that to happen. No. And, and there was a debate with the ending of the film where Porky ends up with the. That's all, folks. And then Tinkerbell comes in. Uh, they had yeah. to pad Tinkerbell, so Disney the last thing present. that you see is uh, yeah. I guess we can't end on a Warner Brothers cartoon. Yeah, <laughs> oh, they're proprietary. They are. They are. But you know that that actually makes sense because it is. It's it's like I I, I go for that because that that really hammers home. It's a, it's a mixture. But uh, well, what Warner Brothers is like, well, we're going to make our own movie, Space Jam, with with our Bob Hoskins, Michael Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> no, Bill Murray was in that. And Bill Murray eventually got into this. this he got into this. the animated movie yeah. as himself. Man, that was the perfect acting job where he just show up. Bill Murray and uh, uh, Nor Norman. Uh, George Wentz? George Wentz, yeah. George Wentz was in... Not George Wentz, not Nora. Uh, Hello, I, I have never Newman. seen Newman, Space Newman, Jam. Newman, Newman, uh, Newman. Oh, um... Oh, Wayne Knight. Wayne, Wayne Knight. Knight. I don't know his name. George uh, Wayne Knight. <laughs> I've seen Wayne Knight many times with Basic Instinct and Jurassic Park. And apologies to Wayne Knight and George Wendt. Yeah, not the same, not the a, same a person. There's a prequel to Space Jam where Wayne Knight finds out George Wendt is his dad. Oh, yeah, that's great. They, they, are, they are making a sequel to Space Jam. Of course. LeBron James is going to be the Michael Jordan. Of course. But he's having trouble getting other NBA players into the movie. Yeah, they've seen Space Jam. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. So it's supposed to film this summer, but they, they're having trouble. To, but the other Warner Brothers... I hope they work it. <laughs> the problem I have with Space Jam is like bugs and all those characters are watered down. Yeah, that's pretty, oh, pretty um, significant. Joe Dante made a film about 10 years ago, because he's a huge Looney Tunes fanatic, yeah. uh, called Back in Action, which is a better film oh, of the two. Yeah. And it had... Uh, <laughs> Jennifer and Brendan... Fr- 
Frasier. That's right. <laughs> those, those, how how of the time? <laughs> yeah. I need two actors that are always perpetually going to be famous. <laughs> and you know who else is it? Steve Martin as, as, as the villain in the movie. That's or, good. Yeah. yeah. But it's more, it's closer to how those characters should be yeah. portrayed. I'm not saying it's phenomenal, but it's a better... Act, it's a better version of what they were trying to do with Space Man, Jam. Man, Brendan Fraser just fell off a cliff. Like, he was he was the go-to. Literally. Yeah, literally. <laughs> but he was a go-to guy. I mean, he was in any... He was a... He, he seemed like he was the affordable big action. Yeah. Like, mummy. And, you know, he was in everything. Dudley Do-Right. Dudley <laughs> Do-Right. I was sadly introduced to him in Encino Man. That's probably right. Yeah. He was in all the live-action cartoons. Dudley do right. He was in uh, George of the Jungle. Right. Oh, that's right. They're like, yeah, let's get. <laughs> He's like, if there's a cartoon, if there's a cartoon, <laughs> we're making a live action. Tune, no, that's that's your movie. Frasier. That's your movie where the tunes <laughs> go into the real world to kill Brendan Fraser because he's taking on their parts. <laughs> I'm gonna sanction that right now. That movie isn't made. I am. I am. I am. I'm you should patent that. He'd be happy for the work. It's too bad. It's already <laughs> out. It's already out. And then Jenna Elfman too. We'll throw her in there. It's already out it's there. It's a sequel to <laughs> the Pack oh, in Action. Oh my god. Um, so overall, what are your overall thoughts on Roger Ebert as we wind down? Um, and do you have anything else to add or say on top of? No, I, I enjoyed rewatching it. It's 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 really a really fun movie, and it's like you said, it's Zemeckis. There's not everything matters. Zemeckis is brilliant. Of if he if he shows you something, he's gonna call it back. Yeah, he's like the master of that. He doesn't back the future brilliantly, and he does it in this movie. Like he doesn't see stars, and then he sees stars mm-hmm. later on, and it's you know, um, the piano on the head. That's how you mm-hmm. you know he makes he makes it he makes it easy to follow and makes it rewatchable because he adds all this stuff into it, and it has a great great performances, and everybody plays it brilliantly, you know. Leslie Nielsen would have been, he's probably would have been a great person to be in this movie because, <laughs> you know, he, um, Bob Hoskins does a great job of playing real, but Leslie Nielsen's brilliant at playing comedy, you know, real. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, I'm why, just why imagining did, that in my head right now. <laughs> Roger Rabbit. Well, he did, he basically did, um, Naked Gun, Naked is Gun is a parody, yeah. is right. a film, is a parody of film noir. Naked Gun is, yeah. I mean, yeah. he does the voiceovers and everything, which is brilliant. I love Les- Leslie Nielsen. So, um, why I even brought him up here? But Bob Hoskins is brilliant. <laughs> we just wanted to add that Leslie Nielsen was great. He, yeah, Bob Hoskins can do. Naked Gun came out in '88, so that's that's time. He yeah. probably couldn't do the tumbling thing at the end that Bob Hoskins can do the whole like vaudeville mm. to make them laugh. The voiceover um, have been hilarious too. Yeah, yeah. Does, is there a voiceover in this? I don't think there is. They don't no, do that. No, they don't no, do that would trope. have been added with Leslie Nielsen, probably. Yeah, but uh, everything else is all the other tropes are. But you know, yeah, it's I. I highly recommend this when it goes on Disney Plus. <laughs> watch it, or you can rent it for four bucks, like I did. So yeah, um, yeah or you could watch the um, French dubbed version for free on YouTube. Yeah. That was funny. Which yeah. is what I started to do and then was like, no, I can't. I can't get through this. I watched a little bit of it after Becky had mentioned it and uh, the Judge Doom voice is really free creepy yeah. in that in French. The high pitched voice. The, the high pitched voice. Oof. I would I would recommend this film. I uh, it gets better every time I rewatch it. Mm-hmm. I find new things to notice. Um it's 
visually very rich. Uh, I cried twice watching it this time around at the at the you know morning Teddy Valiant and when the tunes discover that uh, the, the they were willed Toontown. Mm-hmm. I I did sob <laughs> because yeah. it was just so sweet and they you know you know they're ultimately gonna lose out so it's like well let's let's let them have this victory <laughs> mm-hmm. i love this movie so much you guys um, yeah this i love it too <laughs> um i did not cry i felt deeply sad with eddie valiant i did cry during avengers endgame by the way everybody (laughs) i am a crier actually if there's certain things that's hit me in a movie i'm learning and i hate crying in theaters because everyone's watching well nobody's really watching it but i don't want people to see it everybody else is crying yeah they're all crying too i guess but i i definitely found myself to be a sucker what was that person that was that was crying because he he was getting he cried over the Star Wars trailer, and people were harassing him on Twitter or something like that. Oh. Someone said, "Like these, this is a, this man's unfuckable." <laughs> <laughs> and then everybody else came out like, "You know what? <laughs> I don't mind being unfuckable because I love Star Wars." <laughs> there you go. That's happiness right there. At if the you had to court. choose one or the other, <laughs> I kind of went with Star Wars. <laughs> do, you want, do you want to have sex? Or you <laughs> Star Wars lasts or you want longer. Yeah, it does last longer. It's more. Do you want to like Star Wars? Or do you want? It's the six-month plan, you know. It's the six-month view. It's like, is this going to matter to me in six months from now? You Star have, Wars will. Do you want to have sex, or do you want to be emotionally invested in characters? Right, exactly. <laughs> do you want to live vicariously through a bunch of fictional characters? You know, which is perfect for Luke. He is a monk, so. <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that would be funny for, like, uh, you put on your dating profile <laughs> like the first line is i'm emotionally un- unaffected by <laughs> by, re- by the end of the empire strike <laughs> i don't get moved by trailers uh which trailer was he crying over it wasn't like the it thing. was a new one the new one uh, the which new one star, uh, the star wars rise uh, of the skywalker it's called the rise of skywalker and this guy's like no <laughs> yeah, this guy no, no the guy cried over the trailer he was emotionally affected and he posted a video and this one lady, she's like a MAGA, you know, mm. person. And she said like, this is, you know, who would ever have sex with someone like this? And basically online bullying them. And then everybody attacked, uh, rightfully, yeah. everybody said, you know, that's toxic masculinity. He's, he enjoys something. Right. So everybody, but uh, everybody backed him up. But I, <laughs> I'm anti-bullying of any kind. So just on the record, everybody. But just except, to know except for Judge Doom. Yeah, I love Judge Doom. You can bully me and dip me. <laughs> he bullies the weasels. He hits them with this. Oh yeah, he's horrible. He's a fascist. <laughs> you know, he's a fascist but, dictator. Um, you know what's not toxically masculine is is the Eddie Roger relationship. No, no that's right. Not. They they kiss and and that's. I'm, I'm going to say that again because next to Dude, where's my car? It's the best uh, on screen two male kiss without homophobia yeah right i don't know if hairspray had any with jerry stiller divine they didn't no they didn't have no, a no but they were the characters were they were married yeah they they're were affectionate yeah their character they, they held hands but it was a male female character relationship so yeah it was a male yeah they're playing um no i agree like and i also like that eddie's an adult character too there's a maturity to eddie mm-hmm. like he is a man who's lived life and Mm-hmm. He's fighting his own demons, but there's still that honor. I don't know why I went on a side tangent about the 
the moral <laughs> compass of Eddie Valiant. The name Valiant. That's, so but that's, that's the uh, that's the whole through line of the movie, right? Yeah. His yeah. his arc. It's just like mm-hmm. Jake Giddis in Chinatown. His it's journey, like, his character yeah. journey. Yeah. Jake Giddis has to deal with much deeper, darker <laughs> material at the end of that movie, but like Faye Dunaway, for example. <laughs> um, I love this movie. Um, it gets better, like you guys said. Every time I see it, I I have a I I I I, I want it. I wish it was rediscovered. In the zeitgeist, <laughs> you hope someone buries it in the ground. Brendan Fraser in his next movie, he plays. I the curse of Roger Rabbit. Sean couldn't find this movie. I want there to be an Indiana Jones movie where he retrieves Roger Rabbit and brings him into theaters again. Man, that's the next Indy. If the next Indy is not about him retrieving the DVD of Roger Rabbit, oh man! And Harrison Ford gets to be with Roger Rabbit, so it's full circle. Oh. From the beginning, <laughs> <laughs> I like how you say rediscovered. Like, <laughs> does somebody melt when they touch it? Is yeah. that what happens? If you like, open it up and it's <laughs> it's Criterion. Yeah, everybody says at the end of uh, Last Crusade that guy turns into to Christopher Lloyd <laughs> when, he, when he melts when he touches the gra- drinks the Grail water. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> that's a copy of an unfuckable person. We're talking about Roger Rabbit too, on top of that, which is really some little kids going to be going to get you laid. It's going to be this the podcast. Right? <laughs> That's our whole purpose. Uh, so yeah, I I uh, I love this movie. I love the script. I love I, I love vintage animation. Um, I uh, I, love, I love I love actors. <laughs> I love movies. This, no, this uh, is all your criteria, Sean's <laughs> review. This is my profile on on. T- <laughs> on okay Cupid I love is, vintage like, animation. Um, no, I, uh, I, I, I this I, I admire this film in, in many ways, and uh, um, I think it's one of Zemeckis's best films. It's probably like the end of this really strong. Well, I do have mm-hmm. I do love Forrest Gump, and that's kind of an anomaly. But after that, I kind of lost interest with Zemeckis. Right as, after after all the backs to the future. Yeah, <laughs> I know people love Death Becomes Her, which I have not I seen. I love that. Yeah. I do love that. I need to check that out. Um, but this is probably the, 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 at his peak, right after Romancing yeah. the Stone and, and uh, Back to the Future. The sequels to Back to the Future, I like two, has a lot of interesting mm-hmm. ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, but don't get me started on what lies beneath. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like uh, it's, 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 it's a pinnacle. And if you're an animation fan, you need to check this out. This is essential viewing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and it's a great companion piece to Looney Tunes or anything else you're going to mm-hmm. watch. Mm-hmm. See if you can find the Nintendo game also. <laughs> I probably have it. It's I, I lo- That's the only Nintendo game I've ever beat. It's oh, Roger Rabbit? Yeah. You know which one was in the Wheeler household that we struggled over was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles oh. game. That was tough. Because we yeah. couldn't get past one round because he kept getting electrocuted. Yeah. By seaweed. Yeah, it's, it's impossible. <laughs> the character from Hairspray. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Man, that's a crossover waiting to happen. Um, so, yeah, that's good. Now, Roger Rabbit is certainly on Blu ray. I can attest to that because I always end these movies. If the best way to watch it, if not in the theater, I'd love to see this in the, again in the theater, by the yeah. way, is yeah. on Blu ray. The Blu ray is amazing. It has so many special features. Zemeckis and the screenwriters are 
really irreverent in a fun way about the project. Like mm-hmm. They give you a lot of content, but they also have a, f- a healthy relationship with the movie where they're not taking it too seriously. So they do it as a group mm-hmm. commentary. I highly recommend it. It's one of my favorites. And the behind-the-scenes stuff is good. You actually do get to see Charles Fleischer in the Roger Rabbit suit. <laughs> oh, man. I'm also going to post like some some early footage prior to Zemeckis of the original designs of like Jessica Rabbit and Roger. Paul Rubens was the original voice for Roger oh, Rabbit yeah. in that, that phase. Mm. And Jessica was more like a like a Lana Turner. Mm-hmm. Um, I got like a little Betty Davis vibe from her too. Yeah, the original, like, and very, very definitely evil. Like, uh, there was no ambiguity with That's that. That's why character. I got the Betty Davis <laughs> exactly. vibe. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so that's out there. Uh, you can borrow it from me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and <laughs> after I pretty finished my profile, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> so it's out there. I want to thank Becky once again. The third, you've completed your third uh, go round with ah, us. Thank yes. you guys thank for you. having yeah. me back. Do you have anything to plug for the masses? Well, um, yeah, listen to Amanda's picture show, A Go Go, uh, our episode of Romancing the Stone and Jewel of the Nile. And um, eventually, uh, Sam Sobel will be putting out an episode of Pop Artisan that I'm on, talking about Back to the Future. This completes my Zemeckis trifecta. (laughs) Nice. This is the second movie that Becky and I have been on, a second podcast episode dealing with a Zemeckis film. (laughs) And we have not done Back to the Future or the sequels, (laughs) so we'll have to complete that at some point. Use cars, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, How about you, Scott? Anything to... Yeah, you can just check out the Nest Theater. Um, I'm usually doing something there. Just check it out. Just check it out. Don't go in. <laughs> Don't go in. Just check it out. All right. This looks good. And uh, no, check nesttheater.com or nesttix.com. I believe so. I think it's like the Nest yeah. Theater. It's theaterre.com, I think. Yeah, I'm usually it's doing theater. stuff. Theatra. <laughs> and follow. Yeah. You know, go there and you'll probably see me in something. Yeah, and continue to Scott and I perform occasionally as the Wheeler Brothers, opening up for different acts around town. Uh, you can always follow us. I'm sure I'll be posting that on social media. Mm-hmm. And continue to love the podcast on you know love us on Facebook and and Twitter and look for us on Podbean and iTunes. Um, and any comments, give us your own take on Roger Rabbit or any of the films we review and. Uh, mm-hmm. Thank you all for listening as usual and see you next time. Yeah, and Tony says bye and she liked the movie. So there you go. Yeah, Tony liked the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye. What the hell's a freeway? Eight lanes of shimmering cement running from here to Pasadena. Smooth, safe, fast. Traffic jams will be a thing of the past. So that's why you killed that new maroon? For this freeway? I don't get it. Of course not. You lack vision. But I see a place where people get on and off the freeway. On and off, off and on, all day, all night. Soon, where Toontown once stood will be a string of gas stations, inexpensive motels, restaurants that serve rapidly prepared food, tire salons, automobile dealerships, and wonderful, wonderful billboards reaching as far as the eye can see. My 
God, it'll be beautiful. <laughs>